thanks for pressing play. You know that little voice in your head? The one that just said, what little voice? Yeah, that little voice. Just listen to that little voice in your head for just a quick second. Once you notice it, you'll start noticing what it's saying. And as you notice what it's saying, you're going to also notice something else. The reality is that little voice inside your head and mine and everyone else's is always on, talking and chattering away. Oh, he's saying something interesting. Oh, he's off-putting. Oh, I agree with that. That's dumb. That's cool. Maybe I should pick a different podcast. Always chattering, chattering, chattering away. Now, imagine if you could harness that little voice that's always on in your head to make an exponential jump in your life, to channel that self-talk in powerful ways. Well, that's what you're about to learn. You see, our guest today is award-winning psychologist, a professor, Dr. Ethan Cross, and his new book is called Chatter, The Voice in Your Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. And I want to tell you, it is a legendary read. As a matter of fact, the New Yorker called it deeply mysterious and awesome. <laughs> I like that. I'd like it if somebody called me deeply mysterious and awesome. The Wall Street Journal called it an important work. And uh, best-selling author Adam Grant says, quote, this book is going to fundamentally change some of the most important conversations in your life, the ones you have with yourself. Ethan is a professor at the University of Michigan and the Ross School of Business. He's also the director of, get this, the Emotional and Self-Control Laboratory. What does the little voice in your head have to say about all that? Well, you're listening to Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, and we are the number one real dialogue podcast for business people with a different mind. And some people even call us an oddcast. Uh, and I am sure glad that you are here. Also want to invite you to join me for the first ever Cloud Wars Live Expo, June 28, 29, and 30, 2022, in beautiful San Francisco at the Moscone Center. And it's the most important thing to happen in the cloud maybe since the creation of the cloud. Uh, my buddy, Bob Evans, who's been ranking the Cloud Wars top 10 for almost uh, six years now, is one of the uh, biggest thinkers in the technology industry. And at the event, you're going to find the biggest cloud companies, the coolest startups, and over 40 hours of legendary cloud information and education. And Bob and I and many others will be there. CloudWarsExpo.com. That's CloudWarsExpo.com. Now, hey-ho, let's go. All right, well, you can have a tea, and I'll have a whiskey, and away we go. <laughs> How are you, Professor? I'm great, Chris. Great to be here. Great to be chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much. So I want you to know I deeply appreciate your work. Uh, I've been diving into it. Your field of study is something that fascinates me, something I've been interested in since a teenager. And so uh, just thank you for, for your book chatter and thank you for uh, your work. Um, well, it's very, very kind of you to say, and I'm, I'm super excited to be here to chat about it. I've been thinking about the ideas that go into chatter for you know, almost my whole life, uh, stretching back to the time I was a little kid. And so this is a, a topic that I think is enormously important for 
for the world and and something that intrigues me. So I take any chance I can get to talk about it. Well, thank you. So maybe let's start here. So if I'm interpreting part of your work, your research uh, and, and writing and thinking, part of it is there is a time and a place where what's going on in our head, the noise in our head, the person talking to us in our head is in some way limiting us, maybe saying, um, you know, you suck or making you feel bad or what have you. And so part of um, this idea of chatter, if I'm understanding correctly, is how to um, deal with the uh, person that talks to us in our head when that person's being maybe, could I say, uh, not as helpful as we might like them to be. Is that, is that fair? Or is that, am I understanding that right? Yeah, it's entirely fair. You know, we have this, this thing called an inner voice. And when I use that term, what I'm, what I'm talking about is our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. And turns out that's an amazing capacity that we possess. It's a, it's a tool of the mind. It's a tool that, that distinguishes us from every single other animal species. You use language silently in your head to do all sorts of things like simulate and plan for the future. Like when you prepare for a presentation, you use your inner voice to coach yourself along when you're struggling with difficult problems. Or in my case, when I'm struggling to do difficult things in the gym, right? Like, oh my God, six more reps. Um, you use this inner voice to do something that I find to be magical, which is tell stories about our experiences in this world, stories that help us understand who we are. So this inner voice is a vital tool of the mind. But some of the time, this tool that we possess doesn't work so well. You experience adversity and you reflexively try to use this tool to to think through a problem, but you don't come up with a clear solution and you end up, for lack of a better term, spinning, um, worrying, ruminating, catastrophizing. And, and that's what I call chatter. That that chatter sometimes takes the form of, a, of an inner critic. Sometimes it's a self-disparaging voice. Sometimes it's an inner monologue filled with anger and, and aggression. But the idea here is that you're just getting stuck in this negative thought loop and you can't break free. And I think without being hyperbolic here, this is one of the great challenges we face as a species because it makes it hard for us to think and perform. It erodes our connections with other people and it damages our health. And it's why I've spent so much time studying what you can do about it when it strikes. Thank you for that summary. And uh, one of our favorite expressions around here is thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. And if you think about it, and this may be overly critical, maybe you'll tell me how you, how you feel or think, but we live at a time where what most people call thinking is the mental retweeting of something we heard that we liked in the moment. And the amount of thinking about thinking that occurs is uh, very little. But I'd be curious as to your reaction to that. Well, I think there's certainly a level of superficiality that we see play out on social media with, with retweeting and, and just um, mindless liking of things that we think we should be liking. But I actually think that we, we do a lot of thinking about thinking. We call that metacognition. And now you're getting all PhD on me, right? <laughs> well, you know, Come on. I just need to... I, to, to I'll to... do my best to hang. Metacognition. 
hey, you started it off with category design and and lots of business jargon, my friend. So, no metacognition. It's a term that that uh, that I use a lot, and it basically it refers to exactly what you're talking about, thinking about thinking. And I think we spend a lot of time doing this in ways that create misery. And um, like when we're worrying about stuff, we keep on, you know, we start worrying, like think about what worry is. There's something that in the future that you're concerned about and you start what ifing, what if this happens, what if that? And then at some point you start worrying about the fact that you're worrying. Sleep is like this, right? So the narrative on sleep has has shifted quite a bit over the course of my adult life. I'm guessing the same is true for you. I think we're probably similar around similar um, similar vintage here. Fifty three. Okay, see, I, I'm I'm a little bit a little bit younger, but you couldn't tell from looking at us. I, and you're much better looking. Well, I don't want to disagree. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, very kind of you to say, Chris. Sleep used to be. You know, getting sleep. The the when I was growing up, it was like sleep's on. You know, who cares if you don't get enough sleep? Like you don't. You know, just kind of push through, get your job done. Past ten years, we've learned that you 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 don't get enough sleep, and oh my god, it almost seems like if you miss one day of sleep, you're toast. You just shaved three years off your life. Um, that narrative, by the way, I think has been taken to such an extreme. I think it's damaging. But what ends up happening is people now start worrying about not getting sleep or in the case of worrying because we know worrying can be harmful they start worrying about worrying right and so that's the phenomenon that's what chatter is all about it's getting stuck in that negative thought loop that that just um, you know makes life not very sweet yes so um there's a, a big question i've been really looking forward to asking you which is i think i understand that i, I think most people understand that or can relate to it in my head, there are at least two things like that. So there's that negative chatter that once it gets going can be in a, 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 a vicious circle. But there's also an acknowledgement, you use the term inner voice, of course. The interesting thing to me about the inner voice, regardless of what it's saying, is it's always on. To the best of my knowledge, you, you certainly tell me, Professor, that that inner voice is always on and always there. It always has an opinion. It's saying, oh, I like that. I don't like that. Oh, that was a cool car. What the fuck are they doing? Wow, that's a great looking gal. So even if it's not saying the negative things that you describe around chatter, it's always there. And an exercise I was taught to do as a young man was to sit quietly and try and turn that voice off. And of course, one discovers immediately that you cannot do that. And people go to meditation and et cetera, et cetera, to try to get to a place where that gets quiet. But in general life, for most people, if I understand it correctly, that voice is always going and it's always has an opinion. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's in between, but it's always going. So is that what the research shows is that what your work shows that the inner voice can be something we generate we say all right lockhead we're getting ready to do a podcast we're going to be on here with a super smart guy bring your smarts you know uh, i always listen to the same song before i get on a podcast to pump myself up it's a uh, motorhead's cover of david bowie heroes and uh and i kind of uh, it's so much it's so much cooler than my song you know my song <laughs> 
You want to guess? You want to guess? Is it a Celine Dion song? Or? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, that makes it much better. It, it, it's it's a Journey song. Don't stop believing. Okay, well, no, I can get I, I can get with you on that. I love a Journey fan. Yeah, no problem. And you know, uh, 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 just just as a minor minor like uh, just to interject here a little bit, it's really interesting to me how little work is out there scientifically about the power that our senses play in shifting our emotions. You know, so many of us rely on our senses to to improve the way we feel at times. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my well, actually, it was a couple of months ago. My, my youngest daughter was playing soccer. She had a soccer game and everyone was kind of just like, she wasn't, she wasn't really like up to speed. And, you know, we got in the car and, and I just turned, don't stop believing up. I mean, and I kid you not, by the time we pulled up to that soccer field, it was like one of those bulls ready to explode out of the gates. The moment I opened the door, she darted to the, to the, to the field. I, I raised a story because you know, chatter, like I spend my career studying, how can you manage these negative thought loops? And some of the tools that are out there for doing this are are right under our nose. I don't think we always think about it. And music, you know, taste, smells, our sensory apparatus, if you will. That's one gateway to, to managing our emotional experience. West Coast IPAs. Yeah, there, there you go. That's a... <laughs> Very tasty. I do want to come back to that because I think there's a lot there, but I don't want to go too much further without sort of the the inner voice, the monologue that is running all, all the time as distinct from when the monologue starts whacking us and becomes negative chatter. Maybe just right. the always on chatter. Yeah. So so let me let me jump in. So first of all, there's variability here, right? Our experiences of our inner voice differ. And your inner voice isn't one thing. A couple of years ago, there was this brouhaha on the internet with someone claiming that they don't have an inner voice. And so many people were aghast, like, how is that possible? And then other people would chime and say, no, I don't have an inner voice either. And I think part of the reason there was that confusion is because we sometimes think that our inner voice is just one thing. It's that voice, for example, that just critiques us or coaches us along. And I like to think of the inner voice more as a, a type of Swiss army knife of the mind that lets you do lots of different things. And I mentioned some of them before, like planning, simulating, like before I give a presentation, I'll, I'll often go for a walk and I'll, I'll rehearse what I'm going to say in my head before the presentation. That's one thing my inner voice does for me. Another thing it does is, is coach me and critique me along. At the most basic end of the spectrum, though, your inner voice is part of your, what we call, it's our working memory system. Like, what is that? It's a basic system of the mind that lets you keep information active for short periods of time. So if I gave you a phone number and I said, hey, I want you to repeat this number in your head, memorize it. Like 2090501. Do it right now. You do it? I'm probably not the right uh, subject for this experiment because uh, <laughs> I have, depending on how you want to count them, four or five uh, learning differences, uh, ADHD being one and dyscalculia being another. And so get, getting me to memorize a number is a fucking, it takes work. I can do it, but it takes real work. <laughs> so that, okay. That well, I'll give you, an, I'll give you another example. <laughs> not, not a good, not a good example to give. What about, what if I just asked you to, uh, do you ever go to the grocery store and 
you have to go get a few things and you're walking down the aisle and you, th- you forgot what you have to get. You, you think, oh, what do I have to get? And you repeat the list in your head. You ever do that? Again, very bad example for me. And sending me to the grocery store by myself uh, is like making me <laughs> is like making me figure out a Rubik's cube while hitting my nuts with a hockey stick. So bad, <laughs> bad example for me. Okay, bad example too. So Uber Eats is a light is a lifesaver for you. Well, but if you said to me, "Hey, go drive to a certain place that I know," I would be able to go do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. To to be able to do that, or just keep a keep a little nugget of information active in your head, like you know, say something to yourself. You know, if I, if I go to the grocery store and I forget, uh, what do I have to get? Milk, cheese, yogurt. Like I could just repeat those words in my head. Or I could, if I'm memorizing a number, I'll just 209, 209. If I could rehearse that, that is your inner voice. So the, the point of that exercise, just to make this, this, this idea clear is that we all have an inner voice, but it manifests in different ways for different people. Um, so if you then were to ask me, is it always on, which was the first question, the answer to that question is no. Um, there are cases in your life where you are not silently using language. For example, when you're, when you're experiencing the, the state of flow, when you're totally immersed in an experience, um, that would be a, a, a kind of experience where you're not actually using language silently. Um, and I think there are lots of other um, cases of being absorbed in the moment where where that's not happening. But we do spend a lot of time lost in verbal thought. And that's in part why I find this phenomenon so intriguing. By, by some accounts, we spend between one half and one third of our waking hours not absorbed in the present. We spend that time drifting away in our minds. And we spend a lot of that drifting time talking to ourselves. Not all of it. Sometimes we're visualizing things, right? But a lot of that time that we're lost in our minds, we're jabbering away. And I think the question there for, 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 you know, for me, the question is, well, that's a lot of our, our life that we're spending doing something, talking to ourselves. And so how can we make those conversations more productive, meaningful and enjoyable? instead of them taking that, that nasty form. I also, I want to keep teasing this a little bit because the examples I hear you giving are mostly, and if this is not the way you want me to think about it, by all means, please educate me. But the way I'm interpreting the answers or the examples are essentially uh, when we generate our inner voice, yogurt, Mm -hmm. coffee, milk, bread, sugar, cereal, and we can, most of us <laughs> can basically remember that and we sort of generate that. I, I think I understand that usage of uh, the inner voice. You know, you talk about and write about um, talking to yourself and using your, your own name or uh, some people, I guess, call themselves you. But in my mind, when I do that, I call myself Lockhead. I say, all right, Lockhead, get your shit together. It's time to, you know, whatever. I, yeah. So I understand that. And I think you have written and, and spoken a lot about that. Um, what I'm curious about though, is there's the inner voice that we generate and then there's the inner voice that's just there that for the most part can't be turned off. I think it is a powerful insight to underscore that it, it, it dissipates or goes mostly away in flow. I have experienced that. I experience it all the time in flow. I, I'm a person who, uh, I'm lucky enough that I, I live in flow 
I think, a reasonable amount of the time, certainly more than I ever used to. Uh, and I know what that means because I lose all sense of time. And I, and sometimes it comes from physical. And sometimes for me, it comes creative when I'm mostly when I'm writing. But anyway, or music can do it, of course. So I think I understand those things. What I'm wondering to hear from you about is the inner voice that is always on. And in specific, I'll ask my specific question about it. When I've had these conversations with people, what they report to me is they think that that voice is them having thoughts. And I was taught this as a young man in a early uh, personal development program that I did in my teens. Well, if that's the case, who are the thoughts talking to? So if the inner voice is me having thoughts, but I'm clearly, I'm listening to the inner voice. So if I'm listening to the inner voice, am I the speaker and the listener? Or in other words, if the inner voice is me, who the fuck's it talking to? <laughs> I think you nailed it with the last iteration of that question. Um, so, you know, this gets into some heavy philosophical issues about what does it mean to, to what is the self? And, um, you know, one way of thinking about the self is a self is a collection of, of, of ideas we have about who we are. When I think about this relationship between speaker and listener, inner voice, me, I think we're playing both roles. And one thing that I also recognize that, that for me, I think is, is, I don't think I know is valuable for helping me manage my inner life is that I recognize that my, my verbal thoughts, the verbal thoughts that stream through my mind are not fixed. They are not these imprints that define who I am or that define what I believe. They are little bits of information that are activated for reasons we don't quite yet understand that we nonetheless, once they're activated, we have a heck of a lot of control about how we can manage those thoughts. So there's actually, let, let me, um, this, this segues nicely into a little uh, issue I've spent a lot of time thinking about recently. People are quite divided over whether they think we possess the ability to control our thoughts and feelings. So it was just a New York Times um, article suggesting that we can't control our thoughts and feelings. And there was a, a study I, I sometimes quote, um, I think the number was around 40% of people sampled in this large study believe that you could not control your thoughts and feelings. Well, it turns out that asking that one question, can you control your thoughts and feelings? That's not a very good question because we need to get more nuanced in terms of how we think about control as it relates to our inner world. If you ask me, do I have control over the thoughts that randomly pop into my head or the feelings that I automatically experience? Absolutely not. And, you know, I've been doing research in the space for formally for 20 years. I don't know of any work that speaks to that, that allows us to, to, to understand why we sometimes experience some thoughts. Like, Christopher, if you had like a, a, a live feed into my mind and could read all of the random thoughts that just pop into my head, I'd likely be in jail 
right? I mean, like there's some. Dark I'd certainly be canceled. I, I would have been canceled before I even started. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world would be canceled. Um, you know, so so I don't know why I sometimes have these thoughts or this feeling pops into my. I have no control over that. Recognizing that is really empowering for me. Because I don't beat myself up over the fact that sometimes I may think something that I'm I'm ashamed of or is you know is not particularly civilized. Here's what I do hold myself to to some level of responsibility for. It's what I do with those thoughts once they are activated. Because once the thought is activated, how I engage with it, how I elaborate on it, whether I allow it to push me in a negative direction or I reframe it, that is something that I do have quite a bit of control over. That is my playground for managing my inner world. And um, and that's, I think, where, where the responsibility lies. So I think just breaking down this, like there are thoughts that are spontaneously activated. You have no control over that. But once, once, they're, once they're banging around in your head, then there's a question of what you do with them. I think that's a useful distinction uh, to have. Awesome. So those random thoughts that you have no control over, they speak to us. It's a voice talking to us. So the aha here is, and I say this like a question, we are not those thoughts. We don't have control over them. They just happen. Just like, you know, today it's sunny and 57 degrees in Santa Cruz. Um, and that's what's going on. And there's some thought going through my head about some song I want to hear or some, well, whatever. Or somebody walks by where, you know, that, that voice is hugely judgmental, both of ourselves and of other people. And we say, oh, that guy walks funny or, oh. or, or sometimes we say, wow, that's an incredibly handsome man or whatever the fuck. It's saying whatever the fuck it wants. But the, because it's saying them to, that to me, therefore, it is not me. It is the speaker in my head to which I listen, but it's not necessarily me because those are thoughts that are rolling by. They're not, for lack of a better description, my proactive thinking about things that I think, uh, data that I have consumed, and therefore positions or, or, or places I have come to around a certain topic. So I say all that like an idea for, for your reaction and insight. Well, there are part of you insofar as your 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 brain has produced those those thoughts. We don't know why your brain has always produced the, the thinking that it does, but but they are a part of you. Now, whether they capture your identity though, your sense of who you are, that's that's something for you to decide. And and actually that we know that our sense of who we are is also malleable. And I think that's also something that is is useful to to really contemplate because, you know, if you take someone who, for example, is is depressed, their sense of who they are is characterized by all these disparaging features, and and we can help people shift their sense of who they are in ways that elevate their their esteem and their mood and so forth. So, so on the one hand. I think what we're talking about is distinguishing our identity from the things that happen in our mind and in our body. Like, look, I can have a disease, 
right? Does that mean that that does that this disease defines who I am? Absolutely not. If I don't want it to, and and I think that's what we're we're talking about here. Thank you. That is a fucking awesome, awesome way to separate these things uh, for myself. I, I appreciate it. I think in, if we want to be a, someone who thinks about thinking, and if we want to be someone who is considerate and is curious, uh, in the business world, we say, ask why five to seven times. And uh, shortly, you know, just before we uh, started our conversation today, you and I had a quick chat about scientists' willingness to what we in the tech world, startup world call build in public. And that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, Ethan, but that, that part of what's happened is that more scientists, more researchers, more professors, et cetera, are willing to share things that aren't fully baked because, of course, science is, is the an approach to ongoing discovery and learning. And so who's to say when a discovery is complete? So let me just pause there and sort of get your reaction to any of that. I agree with that statement. Um, I think there are certain parameters that define science that um, lead us to have a, some degree of confidence in in what we're finding in a lab. It's a degree of confidence, though. If you ask me, have we ever discovered the final word on a question? Usually not. There's there's always more to learn in the next set of experiments. Like we publish papers, and usually there are multiple experiments in the papers, and most of the time there are many more questions that are raised than we've answered. That's a good thing. That is exciting. That keeps science going. That 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 fuels innovation and progress. So I think there's a question we all have to ask ourselves if we are if we are producing this information, the science, or are aware of it. Which is when do you decide to actually start sharing it and communicating it with other people? Uh, I don't personally think it's a good idea to to wait until we have finally solved a a puzzle because I don't think we're ever going to finally solve some of the puzzles of the mind, right? And if we're learning stuff that we think has value for others, I think sharing that information with the appropriate caveats is really important and useful. People ask me all the time, they're like, tell me what's the one thing that I can do to manage my chatter effectively? And I tell them, I cannot answer that question because here's what I know. I know that there are you know, close to 30 different tools that we've discovered over the years that can be helpful to people. And we've profiled how these different tools work in different situations, but we don't know why some people like tools one, two, three, whereas other people like tools six, seven, and eight. There's variability there. And, and I don't know that, you know, like what, what your chatter cocktail is, so to speak. But what I do know is you can start trying to figure that on your own, right? So because here are the tools. So start start doing some self-discovery there. If I were to wait to the point that I could prescribe tools to people, I don't know if I'd be alive, you know, when we're in a position to do that. And um, and I don't think that's a, a good way of 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 stewarding scientific information for for people in the world. Thank you for that. We've had uh, Dr. Avi Loban several times. He's Harvard's top astronomer, and we've become a little friendly. And uh, he's an extraordinary human being, in, in my opinion, and I think the opinion of many others. 
You may remember him because he's the first um, sort of person at anywhere near that level of sort of uh, uh, reputation in, in, in that world to come out and say that we've been visited by an alien craft. This thing, Oumuamua, that uh, came in, I want to say it was 2017, but it was so, somewhere around there. And his position, to underscore this point, is they've looked at it. They've studied the shit out of it. We know it's not things we've seen before, point A. And point B, we know it came from outside of our solar system, checked us out, and left. And uh, if I'm un- to understand this correctly, that ha- we have no report of any of that ever happening before. So Dr. Loeb's position is essentially, I don't know whether it was alien in nature or not. However, given that it's nothing we've ever seen before and it's behavior we've never seen before, if we say it is until we can prove it's not, our thinking and research and so forth, we open an aperture that's very different than if we say, well, it's not alien, but it's nothing we've seen before, so let's go look at it. Is I think that's his point. Well, I think, um, you know, it, it really speaks to, to the attitude that, that we possess. Um, you know, I think there's a level of humility amongst, amongst many, well, not all scientists, but I think, I think many, many scientists have a level of humility in the sense that if you're doing this for a while, you realize that there's a whole lot more that we don't know than we do know. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think we should be pretending otherwise, right? I mean, Look, we're learning some things. Let's share what we're learning with with the caveats, with the uncertainties, because guess what? Sharing science-based information with other people, I think that is going to give us um, the best shot towards progress than just sharing our opinions, right? At least we have some basis for for believing in the things that we're talking about. Yes. And you know, maybe they'll be revised down the road. And okay, that's fine. We'll we'll, we'll revise as we move forward. And I can tell you as a non-scientist, I deeply appreciate the frame, the context, the paradigm of science as a conversation um, as opposed to a conclusion. And I know that some people, it may be the case uh, for you, Professor, certainly is the case for uh, Avi Loeb. Uh, You know, he's come under significant criticism for A, saying what he said and B, that uh, it's not, quote, fully baked or, or, or what have you. And so as a private citizen who is a consumer of uh, scientists and appreciates you deeply, I love the willingness to share and, and to have a conversation as opposed to co- have you think your job is to come down from the mountain and tell me how many tablets you have and what they say. Right, right, right. Well, um, yeah, I don't think, um, you know, Norms have changed quite a bit, I would say, since I, I started in, in the field. Um, it used to be the case that um, people in academia were on a mountain and, and actually never left it um, at all. And and it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the work that's done in academia is funded by agencies that, that actually want you to be sharing what you learn with people in the world. And I think it's all about just doing it responsibly, like doing it, doing it well, um, not, not overclaiming, um, you know, um, but we, we have the ability to do that. Now, here's the challenge though, that I think we're talking now about communication and scientific communication. The challenge is that we like simple explanations for things and 
and there's a value in in distilling information into very simple nuggets that people can remember and use in their lives but sometimes um sometimes it's hard to to distill things into neat nuggets like the example we talked about earlier right can you control your thoughts and feelings simple question you pose it to me you know so cross can you control your thoughts and feelings well, you know, it's, 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 it's a little nuanced. I'd ask a little different. No, no, no. Simple question, Cross. Can you or can't you? Yes or no? I think we often want those yes or no black and white answers. When in fact, as we've discussed, it depends on, on what you're talking about, how you answer that question. And so it's about finding that middle ground between responsibility and simplicity. Yes, that was great. And I will say, uh, of course, I only have my own experience, but the longer I exist on the planet, the less interested I am in yes or no answers. And some things uh, that's appropriate, but um, you tell me, but my experience is almost everything that is important cannot be distilled that way. And sometimes we need to create sound bites to create open thinking and, and so forth and so on. But the reality is, you know, so... Before we started, we talked a little bit about category design, and recently I posted on LinkedIn, if you don't or won't read, you can't be a category designer. Hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, if, if I want to be Professor Cross, I've, I, I've got to do some reading. i got to go to work. You don't get to be a PhD, and you don't get to be a professor, and you don't get to write these fucking books, and you don't get to lead these research programs and all that stuff unless you learn, and there's a, there's a set of things you need to go learn, right? And... Um, and so my, I guess my point is there seem to be very few things um, that aren't, that matter, that aren't nuanced, that don't require thinking and certainly don't require reading and learning. And as uh, some people say today, conversating. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, I can't point to, to many phenomenon dealing with emotions um, and their control that have simple, simple answers. There's, there's usually always nuance and shades of gray. Uh, I also completely agree with the idea that, you know, um, reading is essential to advancement. Uh, whenever I'm stuck on something, so, you know, like when I was writing chatter, as you know, uh, Chris, you know, writing can be a time for chatter, even if that's not the topic of your book, right? Like, my God, how can I, like, what story am I going to use to convey the science in a way that really lands with people? And, and, you know, you, you, you try to find these things and you just hit a wall. Always the solution was just, just, just read often outside the genre because the reading activates new ideas that send you down new paths that break you out of the boxes that can sometimes stifle creativity. So I'm a, a, a huge champion of that. It also is, is important to build on what we've already know too. Mm -hmm. So we're not just reinventing the wheel. Yes. It's also important. Now, I do want to circle back because I think you said something uh, legendarily profound that the more I've thought about it and you could see me taking notes, I'm a avid note taker. Uh, and interestingly, I rarely go back and look at the notes, but for me, and maybe it's because of the ADHD or who the fuck knows why, but if I note take during a conversation, my retention goes through the roof and so there's something you said a little bit ago that as I've let it sort of sit in my head as we've continued the conversation seems to already become or becoming a source of real freedom. 
which is this insight you said around there's a difference between the random thoughts. You are not your random thoughts. You are your identity. And you made the analogy that you could, your body could get cancer, but you're not cancer or, or some other disease. And so as I've sat here and let that percolate, it just gets more and more powerful because some of us feel, well, let me speak for myself. I can feel very much under the bus with that chatter. And if I go really dark, I can say, well, you know, why am I having these thoughts? And then I get judgmental about the negative chatter. And if a mental framework I can use, and I'm saying all of this like a question is, hey, Lockhead, the thoughts are just chatter. They're not, you're, they're not you thinking and they're not part of your identity. You're not choosing to say whatever the fuck's being said in your head. It's rolling on by and you can decide what to think by actually engaging in thinking and you can decide that our identity is something we can create. We are not the victim of the random thought that is saying in some cases, bad shit about ourselves, which we then make mean we are a bad person. But I say all that like a question. I completely agree. And I think it is incredibly empowering. Uh, you know, my, one of my daughters, um, who was, I guess you'd call her uh, a tween, uh, yeah, came to me, you know, just starting to be some chatter. And by the way, like, you know, we all experience it at times, right? So, so she's starting to have some chatter about stuff and, and, comes to me and start but, but why am i having these thoughts i who cares who cares why you have them How, what are you going to do about them and and that actually like initially was having these thoughts that were causing her to to feel the way that that she was um but after a few exercises she found that really liberating in the way that i think you're describing in me too i'm not gonna beat myself up for experiencing these negative cognitions at times right when you say that to yourself, that eliminates this huge, huge amount of your mental space that you might have to grapple with. Like, you know, the, the other day, um, here, I'll share, I'll share a dark thought I had with you. Um, tell me what you think about it. Um, my, so I've got two kids and wife and, um, a couple of weeks ago, my, my two kids and I got, got COVID. We got Omicron. We had very, we're very fortunate. We had mild cases. And, and I was thinking, you know, having, it was in some ways it was, it was actually, um, liberating to have a mild case of this because I knew that, Hey, now with the combination of the vaccines, we're going to be protected for the next few months. And it was nice to just kind of get it over with at least this variant. And at one point I thought to myself, Hmm, I, I, I kind of wish my wife got it too. Now I paused when I had that thought because that taken in the wrong context could seem really dark. Like you're wishing your wife would get this terrible, potentially disease, you know, she's, she's vaccinated. So probably would be fine, but there's, it's probably who knows. And for a moment, I, I stopped practicing what I preach. And I thought to myself, what's wrong with you, man? Like, how could you think that? And then I caught myself and I don't know why I had the thought, and I just moved on. I let it go away. 
And that was just really, really empowering. And so, so just, you know, that distinction, some things pop into your head, you don't have control over them, just so don't, don't sweat it. Like that for me is one of these powerful levers for shifting the way I, I think about thinking and how I feel as a result. Yes. Fantastic. All right. So th- this has been an amazing conversation. And, and if you're willing, I would like to go uh, dig deep in some rabbit holes. And I'd like to talk to you about a personal experience that I've had over the last couple of years that has been the source of uh, an extraordinary amount of chatter and get your thoughts and reaction to it. And then as we were talking, I sort of had what I think might be an aha about the media and about politics and politicians that I also want to bounce off you. So uh, the first one is uh, a little over two years ago, one of my best friends who lives a few blocks from me here was the victim uh, of a home invasion, robbery, kidnap, and murder. And that was just sort of pre-COVID. And then nine months after that, uh, my brother-in-law, Michael, died in a horrible accident. Um, uh, three kids, incredible guy, incredible wife. And, and so that the, the murder happened just before COVID. COVID starts, and then Michael has a horrible accident, and, and here we go. So to put it mildly, the last couple of years around here have been um, a walk through fire like none other that I could imagine. And as a result... Uh, there's a whole new chatter that I have in my life. And the way I describe it, and we're, we're, we're very far along healing, but there's a lot of, in my opinion, nonsense about how to deal with this stuff that, that is not only not helpful, but is fucking stupid. And so the reality is these, these are wounds, and these are wounds we will carry, and wounds that won't ever completely heal. I don't give a fuck what anybody says, my opinion. So... In a situation like that, that causes, at least in my personal experience, exponential, extraordinary levels of horrible chatter, uh, nightmares. And and the way I describe it to you, Ethan, is um, that pain, anger, and suffering are like a person now in my life. And sometimes that person's in the next room and Sometimes that person's hanging outside, might be in the yard, and sometimes that person has both uh, hands around my throat, and my sleeping is disrupted, and um, it also just, the way I describe it to my friends is, sometimes it just gets on me. It's just, it might not be debilitating the way it was certainly in the earlier days, but it's just on me like a smell, and You talked earlier about chatter cocktails. I actually, I would, of course, not had that thinking prior to you, but I had to go drink a chatter cocktail before our conversation earlier this morning, actually, to get myself ready for this conversation, because I knew that person uh, was too present for me to be present with you. And so I had to do a series of things this morning when I woke up chatter cocktail to get to a place where I'm actually really stoked and looking forward to our conversation and came in, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed. And so uh, with all that shared, what are your thoughts about all of that? Well, you know, first of all, um, it sounds terrible. I mean, my God, what you've gone through, uh, the, the kind of suffering and loss is something that is, uh, 
the worst nightmare for anyone to contemplate. And, you know, I think recognizing that abnormal situations, which I would describe what you've experienced as atypical, call for abnormal reactions or extreme ones makes a great deal of sense. I mean, we know that. So, um, so the fact that you're struggling at times with extreme forms of chatter is not surprising. And I, I, I think doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you other than the fact that you are responding to the situation here where in a certain sense, what's happened is your, your whole way of thinking about the world has been challenged multiple times. And, and so your map, it's, it, it's almost like one way of making sense of this is you hang a map in your head that described reality fairly well for you. And, and that map was just blown up and now it has to be redrawn. And the question is, how do you actually do that? Did you learn growing up in school how to redraw a mental map when, when it was redrawn? Like imagine you've just, you've believed your whole life that the world is round and now you find out it's flat or the reverse. Like that's a big challenge you have to, to deal with. And, you know, that's where you need some tools to try to figure it out. You know, I, I should clarify that chatter cocktails, when, when I use the term, I, I, I do refer to cocktails of strategies um, of the non-alcoholic variety. Having said that, it is interesting that um, people rely on on, on the al- substances to deal with chatter. And in, in small doses, there's some data that, that can be, be helpful without going to an extreme. But like my advice to you is, if 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 you as a as a as a new friend came to me with these issues that you've dealt with, um, after saying to you exactly what I just described, which is, oh my God, you know, I think anyone would be struggling with this kind of these kinds of experiences. I'd ask, you know, what what kinds of 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 tools have you been trying to use to manage this on your own? Have you are you aware of the different healthy tools that are out there? If you weren't, I would share them with you. Um, I'd encourage you to try them. And then if you found that you needed more intensive forms of support, I'd encourage you to, to chat with um, someone who is trained in a, you know, empirically supported form of intervention, because this is not something, sadly, that is unique to you. And um, there are other people who've dealt with these kinds of traumas, and, and there are there's absolutely a path forward, um, a science-based path forward. And, and I think that availing yourself of that approach, following the science um, and the tools that have been validated for helping people recover from these kinds of traumatic events would be really important. Yes, they certainly have been for us. And I could dig into them if you, if you want. But I would say uh, at a high level, and I, I'm not, I don't consider myself a deeply religious person. I do believe in God. And I would say I, I, you know, having become good friends with um, for some very senior people in the military, Navy SEALs, uh, Army Rangers, uh, Marines and, and the like, um, they confirm this, that they, there are very few um, uh, people who are agnostic or atheist in those moments. So I would say for me, faith, family and friends has been sort of the foundation of it. Therapy, I don't know how the fuck you'd ever possibly deal with any of this without therapy. And I was lucky um, 
to be already working with a, a truly extraordinary man named Phil Toole. And so he has been a godsend. And then some of the things that you talk about and write about. So today it was on me pretty bad this morning, being physically active. And there's a topic I want to talk to you about, about releasing the anger, because uh, I know you have some interesting things there. So physical activity, a long bike ride, we'll do it along a day skiing, we'll do it. And 45 minutes of bag work, uh, we'll, we'll do it. And then this morning, I, it was on so, so, so significantly that I sort of threw everything at it. I, I, right now, I can't be physically active because I injured my ribs uh, mountain biking recently, so I can't really do much. So I said, fuck it. And I smoked some pot. <laughs> I, I played with our animals. We have hens and cats and shit. I got them and I, I, I just had this feeling, Ethan, I have to see the ocean. And uh, one of our uh, COVID gifts to ourselves has been uh, these really fun e-bikes uh, and they're sort of a moped bike. So I put on my helmet and got on my e-bike and went to the ocean and hung out and zipped around on it with a, not super stone, but like stoned enough to kind of get the, get the, the dig out of the ditch starting. Um, and, and the combination of being in nature, being with animals, my wife was 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 gone early this morning. She would have helped had she been around. Uh, a little bit of pot to kind of take the edge off, jazzing around like a twelve year old on a you know super steezy bike, and uh, and then just sitting there and looking at the ocean for a while. The combination of those things put me in a place where. I was over the moon to have this conversation with you. And this morning I thought about, <laughs> about canceling it. Well, I, I'm, um, I'm glad you stuck with it. And what's really interesting about, about your morning, Chris, is that it, it speaks to how a lot of people effectively deal with chatter, which is to say, um, they don't do one thing. Can't tell you how many times I'm asked, tell me the one thing I should do to manage my chatter. And I always say, it's usually not one thing. It's a combination of things. When I'm experiencing chatter, I do like four or five things. I, you know, coach myself using my own name. All right, Ethan or Cross, here's what you're going to do. I, I do mental time travel. I think about what's going to, how this is going to play out down the road. I talk to my, my trusted chatter advisors, people who are adept at listening, but also helping reframe what I'm going through for me. And I, I like you. I don't. I don't get to the the the, the ocean because not near me. But I do get to the arboretum near my house, and I take in some nature. That's my set of tools that that work for me. We did a study with looking at how people cope with COVID anxiety over time. On average, people use four different tools each day to manage their anxiety, and the people who used healthy tools experienced thirty percent less anxiety than folks who used less, fewer tools. So the idea is that it's not just one thing. You want to hit this chatter from a variety of different angles and the different angles that you hit it from, that's something that we can't yet predict. Like I can't tell you these are the six things you should do and the four things that I should do. Like that's where the self-discovery comes into play. And that to me isn't a downer. That's exciting, right? You know, we could give you the 26 tools that are out there and now you you figure out, hey, hey, what works for you? So that's one response. Another thing I want to comment on is, is just the nature and also the belief in a higher power. Um, what often happens with, 
with when we're stuck in chatters, we get we get stuck zoomed in on the problem. Tunnel vision, all we can do is think about this one issue. In your case, it's that person breathing down, you know, your your your, your neck behind you. We can't think of anything else. And what we've learned is that when that happens to us, the ability to step back and look at the bigger picture, zoom out, broaden our perspective, that can be really amazingly useful. And there's not one way to do it. There are multiple ways to get perspective. So, um, you know, trying to give myself advice, like what would I say to my best buddy who's going through this? That's one way to zoom out on my own. Talking to someone else who's skilled at helping me reframe things. That's them helping give me perspective. They're zooming at Ethan, what the hell are you worried about this one conversation with this one podcaster that went awry? Like there's, you know, there's a lot more going on here, right? But we can also get our perspective broadened through other sources. Nature is one of them, right? What happens when you go into a natural setting is it gives you the opportunity to experience the emotion of awe. Awe is an emotion we experience when we're in the presence of something vast and indescribable. For you, it's the Pacific Ocean. My God, like I was there this summer. Pretty darn amazing. For me, it's And by the way, I hate to interrupt you, Ethan. She never disappoints. It doesn't matter what the fuck the weather's doing, whether there's swell or not swell, high tide, low tide, sun, blah, 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 blah. Doesn't matter. She's always legendary. Yeah, yeah. Rub, rub it in, why don't you? For, to the to the landlocked Michigander here. Sorry, so, brother. Um, I believe I believe you. But but here's what happens when you look at the Pacific Ocean or whatever brings you a sense of awe. It leads to something that we call a shrinking of the self. When you're contemplating something vast and indescribable, that makes you feel smaller. And when you feel smaller, so does your chatter. Right. It's 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 one way of broadening that perspective that can be of like, well, you know, look at like when I go to the Arboretum, there are trees in the Arboretum here that have lived for hundreds of years. Right. They've weathered all sorts of storms. And I'm sweating the one uncomfortable conversation with the inconsequential blah, blah, blah. Like, come on, man. Let's 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 look at the big picture here. Um, religion. And a belief in a higher power, that's another way of broadening our perspective, right? Because now you're contemplating um, forces that are, are much bigger than you, right? Like when people are, are thinking about religion, uh, number one, they're thinking about forces that um, have some control over what's, what, what is happening, which can make us feel better. Like when you're experiencing chatter, you also feel like you don't have control over the thoughts streaming through your head. They're taking over. They're sending me astray. But look, if, if you're a religious individual, right, this is all part of the grand scheme. What's meant to be is what's meant to be. Karma, like you name the religion, there's a script for what you're going through. And it's all part of something bigger. And, and that that also makes you feel like you have a little bit more control over things by also broadening your perspective. So, uh, so you know, research shows that people who believe in a higher power, um, they tend to have higher levels of well-being. Hmm. That's interesting. Do they live longer or do we know that, Professor? I don't know if they live longer, but they tend to, to be less stressed, score higher on well-being measures. By extension, you might predict that they live longer, 
but I can't actually remember whether that's true. So I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. But, but I, I just want to emphasize, Chris, like what I find so beautiful about the way you are managing this experience and, and, and take no offense to me using the term beautiful, but you're discovering a process for managing this chatter. You're not restricting yourself to doing one thing or two things. You've cobbled together a whole approach. And, and my, my invitation to you would be to think about what really works and then try to be deliberate about activating those tools when you need them. I think what many of us often do is, is we wait to stumble on tools that help us feel better. We kind of, you know, we're feeling down in the dumps. Oh, maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll do that. And maybe it helps and maybe it doesn't. But once you identify things that work for you, that gives you this like playbook to activate exactly when you feel that chatter beginning to brew. And if you activate those tools right during that early stage, that gives you the possibility of shortening the period that you get stuck in chatter. So people ask me, do you ever experience chatter? Someone who studies this stuff and knows about all these tools. Yes, I experience chatter and I'm a human being, but I'm really good at not letting it proliferate because the moment I smell it, and you use that, that term too, the moment I, I detect it on my skin, I, I, I go to my four standby tools and usually that's enough. If it's not, I'll do a few other things and I'll keep on activating tools until I, I muffle up. Very, very powerful. Thank you for that. I'm incredibly concerned about what's going on in our country and in much of our world. And I think we are at a point where, um, per our earlier discussion, there's not a lot of thinking about thinking around things like, what kind of country do we want to design together? There's not a lot of understanding that, are there really Americans who would like to live in a country that was 100% run by Democrats or 100% run by Republicans? Are there really Americans who don't believe that at the end of the day, there's one extreme or the other, there's civil discourse or there's civil war. And we have lost an ability to have a dialogue like the one you and I are having, which is to say, I'm not trying to persuade you or convince you I'm right about anything. I don't have an experience of you doing that with me. We are playing a game of catch at the beach. And I'm trying to be in a curious place with you and not a judgmental one, so to speak. And so I think we're at a place where there's very little of that taking place in the public discourse. Then I had this uh, aha fairly recently, Professor, which is both the media and the politicians now in America and in other parts of the world as well, are at a place where they realize they're the fastest way to short-term success is to install and monetize negative, angry chatter because they pump people up and the evil that is Facebook wants engagement and nothing engages like outrage and anger and nothing drives people to the polls and nothing drives people to contribute to politicians like those fucking people on the other side are trying to destroy America. Send me money, vote for me, click on this link, uh, consume this media and therefore consume this advertising. And so we're at a place where 
and I'm saying all this like a question, the media and the politicians, whether they realize it or not, or whether it's intentional, I don't fucking know, but are, are purposely installing negative chatter because they can monetize that chatter to their own near-term ends. I'm curious to your reaction. Let me talk about chatter and um, whether it can have effects on society. Um, I think it can, and I think it we're seeing it happen now right before our eyes with the increased levels of, of violence and aggression that we see happening due to, I think, COVID chatter, right? People are frustrated. They're rehearsing this stuff. And there is a seductive allure to keeping our chatter activated, which sounds totally ridiculous because why on earth would you want to keep this chatter going if it doesn't feel good? And um, here's how this works. We often engage in what we call co-rumination about things. So we find someone to share our chatter with because when we experience strong emotions, we're often uh, motivated to share them and talk about them with others for a variety of reasons that we can get into if you want. But the point is, you find someone to talk to about your chatter, just vent it out. Can you believe those son of a bleep, bleep, bleep on the other side, what they're doing? And, and, and let's say you and I are part of the same group. You're, yeah, that, that, that was terrible. I hate that. But we start going back and forth, keeping each other revved up. What ends up happening is when you and I engage in that, what I would call co-rumination vent session, we feel really good about our relationship. Right. And research shows that venting with other people about things, it actually strengthens the friendship and relational bonds between other people. But there's a cost that comes with that, which is you then leave those sessions, those vent sessions, and you're just as, as emotional and as upset, if not more upset, as when you started. And that's what I think leads you to then see things like aggression and, and attitude polarization as um, uh, you know, comes from that as well. Um, so if that's being stoked by folks, and I think social media does play a role with this because the echo chambers that we see form on social media give us opportunities to engage in this kind of collective venting in ways that I think can be very destructive. Um, that's a real problem. Uh, what you ideally want to do is, is have, you know, cross aisle dialogue where, well, I think you want two things. You, A, you want to, have people from different sides anchoring onto some shared bigger picture goal like, hey, we believe in this country and we want this country to be successful and we want to live in a place where people get along. And then it's about talking to one another about how you can reach that shared goal together. And that those can be very difficult conversations, but I think if there's shared commitment to those big picture goals, uh, there's research which shows that that can be really helpful for uh, getting groups from different places to align themselves well um, in a shared mission. Uh, that's one thing you want to do. The other thing you want to do is you want to, you want to try to stop forces from stoking these chatter episodes among the collectives um, for personal gain, because as you, as you articulated well, um, it does feel it's good for the group to get into that that chatter mode in a certain sense because the group is becoming tighter, right? And so if you care about marshalling the forces, like stoking a fire is a way to do that. But but that's that goal 
is sometimes, or I think, you know, you would agree right now, um, it, it comes at a real cost because it does feel like we're living through a time where, um, I mean, certainly in my lifetime, I've never experienced um, a period of time where it seems like people, like reasonable people are so far apart on, on issues that we should be able to reach some consensus over. Yes. And, and the aha um, for me in this regard, Professor, is uh, the media and the politicians slash government are not going to fucking do it. Matter of fact, they profit from stoking it. And so the only path I see, and I say all this like a question, to a breakthrough is if business leaders, if academic leaders, if community leaders, social uh, leaders um, stand up and say, look, we're going to start fucking mimicking the behavior we want. And we're not going to do this anymore. And fuck you for doing this. And I know for me, uh, I'm a radical independent and I have views on the right and views on the left. And there are people that I love in my life that I would give my life for across the political spectrum who share beliefs that I think are fucking insane. And it makes me wonder, you know, as I, as I continue to uh, grow on the planet, um, I'm much less concerned with somebody's political belief on an issue or what have you. And I'm much more concerned about um, their character and their conduct. And so there are people with whom I disagree radically on either side who I love, but I know who the fuck they are as people. They're legendary people across many dimensions. And I love, and that's why I love them. And when I go to have conversation with them about political topics on which we disagree, I try to come from that place and from a place of curiosity as opposed to a place of anger or a place of judgmental and sort of, I think it says this is leading me to a place here. Some of us think the purpose of, of conversation is to joust and to win. That is to say, if I take you from where you are to where I am, I win. And you do the you do that and, and we get after it. And at least in my own life, when I take a lens of curiosity and a lens of understanding, I might never agree with you. I might always think it's fucking insane. But I at least want to understand it. And if you do that with me and I do that with you, and we acknowledge that steel sharpens steel, Maybe we can fucking get somewhere, but I do know one thing, more yelling, uh, more monetizing and creating and stoking of hate is going to continue to get us on a very bad path. I mean, I, I love your approach and in many ways it's scientific, right? Because, uh, which I'm a fan of, uh, in the sense that what we often, what we try to do is we're trying to understand how things work. Like that's what many scientists, I think how they would describe what they do. But for me, I'm fascinated by emotions and how we can manage them effectively to more skillfully live our lives, right? And the way I, I, I try to um, achieve those goals that I have is by understanding how emotions work and how they can be managed. And the idea is that if I understand how something works, if I understand the mechanics that underlie those experiences, then I could get in there and and modify things, right? 
the way we can fix a car is we you go to a mechanic. They understand how the car works. They know the engine connects to the carburetor. I guess that used to be the case. Not not so much with electric cars, but but you get the point. If you know how the inner workings of something work, you can tweak it to get to where you want to be. And I think if you have a lens of wanting to understand someone else, that's step one for 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 reaching some sense of compromise which I think is so tremendously important when we're talking about the things that we're talking about right now, which is, you know, social order and society and, and how to live in a place that um, functions well, right? I think the argument that sometimes we don't always think that where we live is functioning very well as a government and things like that. And so, so having that lens of, of understanding and trying to work towards some common goal. I think it's vital. And I, I miss, I miss the rhetoric around those issues, uh, as opposed to the, the, the rhetoric or the, the us versus them rhetoric, which I think is, um, you know, so polarizing and, and so destructive, um, unless you want to live in, in a, in a country that is two countries, which I don't, <laughs> you know, I want to live in harmony with 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 everyone, I think that's true of, of many of us. Well, and the most ironic thing to me about all of that, from a political uh, viewpoint, is both parties are exactly the same. They say the other party is trying to destroy America, and we have to stop them. So they're in, and I use these words on purpose, violent agreement about that. <laughs> now, Doctor, I could talk to you for a very long time. You've been incredibly um, generous with your time and with your um, very large cranium. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we, uh, before we kick out? No, I think this was, this was just a fascinating, um, conversation. So, so thanks for, thanks for taking the time to be curious, um, with me. Uh, I was certainly curious with you and it was great fun. Thank you, brother. Thank you for writing your extraordinary book and, uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks so much. Look forward to it. Well, there he is the legendary award-winning psychologist, Professor Ethan Cross. His new book is out. I highly recommend it. Again, it's called Chatter, the voice in your head, why it matters and how to harness it. And um, if you enjoyed this conversation and you think real dialogue matters with yourself and with others, then I would encourage you to share this podcast with people you love, people you admire, people you respect, people you dislike. And we always deeply appreciate your social media shares. All right. We would like to thank you. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. All of us here at uh, Follow Your Different appreciate it deeply. Also, thank you to uh, Ashton Ballard and Alyssa Fortunato for helping to make this episode uh, with Professor Cross happen. Remember, join me, cloudwarsexpo.com, cloudwarsexpo.com in San Francisco, June 28, 29, and 30, 2022, Moscone in San Francisco, cloudwarsexpo.com. Can't wait to see you there. Um, uh, my friends at Howl app are the, f- <laughs> you know, you'd think after you'd done this as many times as I have, you'd freaking know what you were doing. My friends at Hallow app are the real life network where your real life happens. We all know social media is for your fake life. And, uh, Hallow app is for your real friends in real privacy with no algorithms. The real life network, check out H A L L O A P P on your smartphone or halloapp.com. Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes, and this podcast is the sole property 
of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and it contains content known to the state of California to cause radically different thinking and whole new kinds of self-talk. <laughs> all rights do remain perturbed. We're produced and edited by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. And if you want to produce a podcast and you are in the Los Angeles area, check out jason.fyi. Jason is in the process of setting up a brand new, very sexy, state-of-the-art podcast production facility. So if you're in Los Angeles, check out jason.fyi. Sarah Knox and Jamie J. do legendary technical execution, and they build Lockhead.com. Don't forget to go to Lockhead.com and subscribe to Category Pirates. It's time we all embraced our inner pirate. Check out Lockhead.com and subscribe to Category Pirates. Show notes by GM Simon. Uh, The Bobus Brothers, RJ and EX, do our web development. And Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weed and Jack, and our accountants are three balance sheets to the wind. We record these oddcasts on squadcast.fm. If you want professional podcast quality in the cloud, check out squadcast.fm. Remember to spread non-obvious thinking. Everything is the way it is because somebody changed the way it was. And please, for the love of God, don't be lame. Get out of the effing passing lane. Some of us are going somewhere and some of us have muscle cars. Tom Waits was right. Listen to Social Distortion. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to uh, Vladimir Putin. Sorry, Vlad. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe, stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>